Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Hey, good Sunday morning to you. So glad that you're here worshiping with us in-house and those that are online, we want to welcome you. Here at Brookville Road Community Church, we're here to inspire wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. We want to love God, love the church, and love the world around us. And part of loving God is loving his word. And if you were with us last month, uh, we memorized some scripture verses. And I thought today we'd have a pop quiz, all right? Uh, So... Uh, your grade won't be dependent on this, but uh, so it, it helps kind of just refresh our, our memory. So we learned a couple of uh, verses out of Psalm 119. We learned 119 verse 11 and then Psalm 119 verse 16. In Psalm 119 verse 11, it says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's Psalm 119, verse 11. So let's see if we can say that one together. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 11. Let's try that again. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 11. All right, let's see how you do. Let's do it one more time. I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 11. Nice job. Good job. So uh, the, the other verse that we learned was Psalm 119, verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That's Psalm 119, verse 16. Let's see if we can say that one together. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, verse 16. All right, let's try it one more time. I will light in your... I will not forget your word. Psalm 119, verse 16. All right, thanks for playing along. I would encourage you every now and then, just be like, oh, what was that verse again? Just refresh your memory and go to it. And it it, it will. It'll stick in your mind. It'll stick in your heart the more you kind of come back to it from time to time. And the beauty of that is, you know, every now and then we get in these circumstances in our life, and man, it just comes back at the right moment, and God blesses our heart with that. So if we're going to love God, we need to love God's word. That's, That's what that whole thing was about when we started talking about text. And so that led us into studying a particular book. And the book that we're studying right now is 1 Corinthians. And last week, we ended chapter 1. So it took us about a month, but we got through the first chapter. And there at the end, just kind of refresh our memory where we were, Paul, Paul has said, God chose. God chose some things. God chose the foolish. God chose the weak. He chose the low. God chose the despised. And he did all of that so that we might not boast in ourselves. So that we might not say, well, the the way that I'm getting into heaven is because I'm so great and I'm smart and I'm good looking and and I have all this knowledge. I'm doing good things. It's not based on our goodness. It's not based on us at all. It is based on this God who chose the weak, people who were running from him, those who were low and sinful, and that God reaches out with his love God chose. And this says this in verse 30. We'll put that on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. And because of him, because of him you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us 
wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. I mean, that, that verse right there, that's worth a whole message. Like, we, we could have spent a whole bunch of time right there that Jesus Christ is wisdom. It's not man's wisdom. It's not how smart we are. We're not looking to a philosopher. We're looking to the only wise one who is God, and Jesus is God. And he says that this Jesus has become our righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul's going to write to them again and say, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Not our own righteousness, the righteousness of Christ imputed, that means placed to and given to our account. That's our righteousness, not our own righteousness, but the righteousness that comes from Christ. And then he's become like our sanctification, which that word means he is purifying us and we're becoming holy and more and more like him as we're walking with Jesus Christ and our redemption. He has bought us back by his shed blood. Just a beautiful verse. Then he goes on, the, the end of that chapter says, so that he's done all this so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord so today if there's anything good that we might say we might say all that goodness that's come from God every good thing has come from the father of lights who loves his children yes we have challenges yes we have difficulties but we can boast in the goodness of a God who has extended his love to his children that's good news and he says you are in Christ Jesus that's amazing, right? Because you are in Christ Jesus. That's a place of solidity. That is a place of like, I can land in a firm place right here, and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I am solid and secure in Christ. It reminds me of the, the show that I was watching last night, uh, Twister. Anybody watched Twister uh, before? Remember that, that movie? I was watching that last night. Uh, by the way, that was on CMT. So I was watching country music television. So for those of you that have been praying that I will like country music, still don't like it. Um, <laughs> even the commercials had a twang. It was just really weird watching CMT. Anyway, Twister. Where was I? Twister. So it's, it's that, like that scene towards the end. And this big F5 tornado is sweeping through Oklahoma. And it's coming through. And then the two main stars, they, they run into like this place and they find this, this just post that goes deep down into the ground. And they find these belts. And they wrap the belts around them and wrap that around this post that goes down deep. And then the F5 comes through and they're like, well, there goes a cow. And there goes a barn. <laughs> there goes a John Deere tractor. And just the wind is whipping through. But they're secure. That's your salvation. That is what you have. That's our salvation. Your salvation isn't based on what you have done for God, but what God has done for you. This is based on, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. This is based on like the cross of Jesus Christ, which runs down real deep down into the ground. And we come to the cross and we cling to the cross. And while we're clinging to the cross, Jesus Christ holds on to us. And we are secure and no thing and no one can take us from Jesus Christ. And that's a good word today. Right in the midst of the tornado of the chaos of this life and everything spinning around us as we pick up our phone or watch the television and we see the news and we're just like, I think everything is chaos. You're right. Everything without Christ is chaos. Everything with Christ is secure. And if you are with Christ, my friend, you are secure. And that's a beautiful thing <laughs> to be able to face this world 
and all that comes at us, having a faith in this God. So that was chapter one. Let's move to chapter two. Let's see how fast we can get through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter two. Chapter two, verse one, and, all right, let's stop there. I'm, I'm totally kidding. Just, that's a joke. We're going to, we'll go a little further. And I, no, and I, when I came to you, brothers, let's stop there. He says, when I came to you, right? So he went to them. It wasn't the other way around. He went to them. That's the story of Paul's life. He went to people. If you look at Paul's life, we find that he was born in a place called Tarsus. And Tarsus is in modern day southern Turkey. And he's a Greek citizen, speaks Greek, but he's also a Pharisee, a very bright Pharisee, studied at the feet of Gamaliel, just a brilliant, brilliant theologian, brilliant Jewish teacher. But it was while he was on the road to Damascus that he has this shining, bright encounter with the risen Christ. He saw the risen Lord, and God took him from this place of persecuting Christians. He was looking to kill Christians. And brought him to this place where Paul would now begin to plant churches. And that took him some distance, actually. Like, even if you look at the map and you look at where Tarsus is, all the way over to where Corinth is, that distance is like 800 miles. 800 miles. That's the distance from here to Shreveport, Louisiana. That's a long way. And he's traveling, not like 20 miles on foot. No, he's traveling a long way. And Paul has at least three missionary journeys that he went on. And this was a long way. I've read some estimates that that took over 10,000 miles, some on land, some on sea. But he's traveling all of this way, and he's going to people. And so this is Paul's second missionary journey. And he comes to this place called Corinth. If you were here as we talked about Corinth, it's this place in Greece. It's at this crossroads of a whole bunch of trade. All north-south traffic, east-west traffic goes through this Corinth is very cosmopolitan. It's very, very wealthy, but it's also a wreck. It's a wreck morally. They got tons of money. They have all kinds of culture. They have all kinds of entertainment, but spiritually, morally, just total wrecks. I mean, people in Vegas will look at people in Corinth and be like, dude, you got to get your act together. Like find a therapist or something. You're just a mess. And so Paul says, I came to you in the midst of your chaos and your mess and your sin. I moved in your direction. And he talks about Jesus. He opens up the, the gospel to them. He shares the good news that while they're yet sinners, their heavenly father sees them and has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for their sin. And he didn't just stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He ascended to the father. And he's looking for those Corinthians to give their life to Christ. That's exactly what they did. The, the guy teaching and being the, like the main Jewish leader, he gave his life to Christ. And then they had to put a new person in there by the name of Sosthenes. I call him Saucy. Now, Saucy, he gives his life to Christ. And so he says to these people, look, here's what Jesus wants you to do. Here's how he wants you to live. Here's what he wants you to know. And now you take that and you go change your culture. Go change Corinth. I came to you, Paul says. And he's coming on this, this journey He's hit a lot of places. He's been to Antioch. He's gone over to his own hometown of Tarsus. He went to Derbe, to Lystra, to Troas. After that, he goes to this place called Philippi. And Philippi, he meets Lydia, and there's this church. But then uh, people there just are like, hey, let's, let's beat Paul up because we don't like what he's saying. So the magistrates there, uh, they beat Paul and Silas. They throw him in jail. And if you recall, while they're in jail, they have a little jailhouse rock, like they're singing songs. Uh, so I guess if I'm going to go to jail, Jay, maybe Jay, 
Josh, we can all kind of like sing and watch what God does. And so the doors open up. And so the jailer gets saved. And then at the end of that, basically the magistrates who put him in that jail, they send word and said, okay, you and Silas, you can just go now. And Paul's like, well, you're going to be Roman citizens and just have us leave? No, why don't you come down here yourself and escort us out of this jail? Paul's just bold, bold, bold. So he leaves Philippi. He goes to a place called Thessalonica, puts a church there in Thessalonica. But when he's in Thessalonica, the people there don't want any part of the gospel. They're not interested in Jesus. So they kick him out. I mean, he has to run for his life, basically. He goes to Berea. He's in Berea for just a short amount of time before the Thessalonican kind of mafia find him in Berea, force him out of there. After he leaves there, he goes to a place called Athens. He's in Athens for just a little bit. Then he goes the 40 mi- 45 miles to Corinth. He's in Corinth for 18 months. When he's done there, he goes to Ephesus. After he's done in Ephesus, he's going to move on back and going to get a haircut in Centuria. You can read about that. That was interesting. And then he goes back to Jerusalem. But all along the way, Paul is just being beaten. Like he, he is facing a lot. When he says, I came to you, well, that's no easy thing. Like we read in the Bible so many different things that happen to him, just beatings and beatings and thrown in prison. At one point, he's bitten by a snake. Uh, he got stoned it's different than the way we read that today, like not past the Cheetos. Uh, this is like with rocks, right? Like he's getting pelted with rocks in Lystra in, in Acts chapter 14. They're like, we're, we're, it's really odd because he comes in and they heal somebody and everybody in Lystra is like, oh, you're a Greek God. And they start worshiping him. He's like, don't worship me, worship Christ. And then there's these people who rile everybody up and say, this Paul's a bad guy. And so they're like, yeah, let's kill him. So they start throwing stones at him and they, they think he's dead. They take his dead body, pull it outside the city gates, thinking he's dead. The disciples gather around Paul. They start praying for him. And he stands up. Where does he go? Back in the city. Didn't we just kill you? Yeah, but I'm back. Here's Jesus. I mean, just he is pouring out his life for the gospel, literally. He says, I came to you. I wanted you to know about Christ and the cross. And when he gets news, he's in Ephesus about Corinth. He spent 18 months there, and then he gets word that they're messed up. And he's like, guys, I'm 450 miles away from you right now. I can't get there, but I hear you're all screwed up. Uh, you, got, you got people who, you got guys sleeping with their stepmom. We'll get there, chapter 5, after Mother's Day. Uh, it, so... Sometimes the timing doesn't work out as I'm, I'm reading through, like, where are we going to land? Uh, so, and then you got people speaking in tongues. You got people who are getting drunk during communion. He's like, guys, we're remembering Jesus. We're not here to get hammered. Can we just kind of get our life together? Can we get our act together and do what we're called to do? And so in this chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I came to you. And he goes through all this stuff. And my question is, do you go to anybody? I mean, he's just pouring out his life and being beaten. And we're like, I don't know. They might cancel me. They might look at me funny. I'm not quite sure I want to open my mouth about Jesus. Do you go to anybody? Do you have family, friends, neighbors who are far from God? And, and you don't wait for them to like clean up their life before you go to them. Because that's what Paul's doing. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus leaves heaven. He's God. 
and he leaves heaven not because we're really good and we're doing a great job and he's going to make us a little bit better. No, he came incarnate in flesh. That's what incarnate is. While we were rebels, while we were opposed to him and to his will, while we wanted nothing to do with God and his law, which we've never been able to do on our own and completely obey his law, God came. He sent his son Jesus to the rebels, to the sinners. When Jesus shows up in John chapter 4, he has this encounter. It's a beautiful encounter with a woman at the well. He's beginning to talk to her about this water of life, what he offers. And then he says to the woman, why don't you go get your husband and come back here? And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you've had five husbands. And the man that you're now with, he's not your husband. You're just living together. But Jesus did not wait for this woman to get her life together before he would be in proximity to her. And thank God he hasn't done that to us. In John chapter 8, you have this encounter with a, a woman who was caught in adultery. And all the people around her, they wanted to stone her. They wanted to kill her according to the law. And then Jesus kind of disperses that crowd who wants to kill this woman who's been caught in adultery. And he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now look at the order. The religious order would be, hey, why don't you go get your life cleaned up? And then I won't condemn you. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is, I'm coming to you so that you no longer are condemned and now you have the power not to sin. So God moves in our direction while we were yet sinners, while we didn't have everything exactly the way that it needed to be in our lives. He moves in our direction so that we might know him. So let me ask you again. Do you go to anyone? He came, Paul says, I came to you. It goes on and it says this. When I came to you, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In verse 17, we had seen, uh, I did not come to you with eloquent words of wisdom. When I came to you, I didn't use that there fancy language. Right? I, didn't, I didn't come to you so that I might play these uh, mental gymnastics and deep philosophy with you. God has made it so that we might not be saved by human wisdom and our own smarts, but by the gospel good news of Jesus. And so when Paul comes to Corinth, he's saying, I didn't come with lofty speech. I'm not coming as this great orator. I'm not coming with a deep philosophy. I'm not coming to you kind of like a, a used car salesman. No offense to used car salesman. Uh, really just pity right now because that's a tough field. Now, he's not coming to them like a, a snake oil seller. He's not trying to manipulate them into the kingdom. He says, I'm not coming with lofty words. I'm not coming with this philosophy. I am coming to you with the simplicity of the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm just going to give my testimony about what God has done for me. I was persecuting the church. I was blaspheming God and who he is and his son, Jesus Christ. And I stand as a testimony to the transformation that Jesus Christ has done. And that's, that's what we have now. We have a testimony about who Jesus is. It's called the word of God. And so we open up the word of God, which stands as a testimony. In fact, God the Father and the Holy Spirit bear testimony to who Jesus is. In John 15, verse 26, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And he says, you're going to face persecution. 
It's going to get hard out there. It's going to get difficult. But know this, I'm going to send you a helper. And when that helper comes from the Father, he will lead you and teach you into all things and bear witness of who I am. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did. He came and he empowered the believers so that they might be concerned and overwhelmed by the world around them that was pushing in and persecuting them. And then that same Spirit begins to flow through men as they were carried along and they wrote down the revelation of God's word bearing testimony testimony to who Jesus Christ is. And so now, 2,000 later, 2,000 years later, we get together and we open up the word which bears testimony to who Jesus is. Like when we get together, you're not coming here to hear my opinion. My opinion isn't worth anything. My, my opinion's not worth a hill of beans. I, I, I don't even like my opinion. My, my, my own opinion changes. When we get together, we're not coming in here and we're like, hey, what, what, let's talk politics. We could talk politics because we can have God's word, which shapes our worldview, and Christianity speaks into that domain. But it's not like, hey, you know, what's our platform politically? No, what does Jesus say? When we get together, it's not like, hey, let's talk economics. When we come together, again, we're not looking for somebody's opinion. We're not talking just social justice issues or viewpoint or polls or other books or human ideas. We're like, what does God think? What's on his mind? What is truth? Because all these other areas, every human wisdom philosophy of the world, it's always changing. There's one thing that does not change, and that is God and his word. So Paul says, when I was coming to you, I wasn't coming to you with like lofty words and being real smart. I didn't give you like a PhD lecture. I presented to you Jesus Christ crucified on a cross. I didn't come with lofty speech. I didn't come with bright lights, shiny lights, and great music. I just came to tell you Jesus crucified. He says, I came to you, and we're going to read it, in weakness and fear and trembling Here's kind of what I notice when, when we start talking about lofty speech and trying to manipulate people into the kingdom. What I've found as a pastor is the more that pastors or I or anybody would try and wow somebody. The more we try to wow someone into the kingdom, the more they keep expecting wow. Like you got to keep one upping yourself. Like, well, we did this last time and we kept everybody's attention. So maybe this time we got to ramp it up and ratchet it up a little bit more. Like, don't get me wrong. I want you to hear God's word. I want you to be listening in the moment, but it's not a matter of wow. Because if we just keep moving towards wow before long, man, it just becomes like this dog and pony show. Like, hey, you know, watch Chris do some flips on stage. Let's get some dancing cats in here. I don't know, just the crazy, right? Like, if we could just grab people's attention, then they'll hear. He's like, I'm not coming to you that way. And what I've noticed is if you come to Christ based on um, this is what I'm going to get from Christ, I'm only going to come to him so he makes my life a little bit better so that I might be able to get into heaven, get some fire insurance from hell, if you come into the, the, the life of Christ expecting wow and fun and flashy, you're just going to get crazy. You're going to get to this place of, I'm not really deep into truth, but I sure am deep into my feelings. And I sure am deep into self-centered ego pride. Paul's saying, I'm not coming to you like with lofty words or try to wow you in the moment. I'm coming to you with the gospel of Jesus Christ and its simplicity 
of the cross. And if I come with all this kind of thing, I think you're going to begin to follow something that's not true, which is the messiness and the brutalness and the crucifixion of Christ on the cross. This is true. That God who is perfect had to die in your place. Like he shed his blood. He sacrificed his life to overcome hell, death, and the grave, overcome sin in your life. And now he calls out to you as Lord and conqueror to die to yourself, to die to your own pride, to die to that thing on the inside of us that would like to set ourselves up and prop ourselves up as the one ruler in our life. He calls us to die. He calls us to sacrifice. So in that sense, uh, the gospel is this challenge that sits in front of us where it's not like I'm going to make more money and my life is going to be better and Jesus is going to prop up my life. I'm going to lay down my life and I will pursue him at all costs. But the thing is, in our culture, our culture is consumer-minded, like, and so churches know that, and so they're like, well, here's gospel light, here's gospel prosperity, here's a little bit of Jesus juice inoculation, now go on back out in the world and live however you want to live. But that is not the call of Christ, and that's not the command for the church, because Jesus bids us come and die, die to ourselves, take up our cross to follow him. He calls us to be wholehearted. He is calling us right now, friend, to be transformed, renewed in our spirit, in our heart, to be made new, to be holy. He is calling us to make the supremacy of Christ primary in every part of our life. That's what we're called to. This is what Paul's trying to get across. He's not saying, I'm coming to you in a way where you're going to be like, that Paul, I really like him. I like hearing it when he preaches and let's lift Paul up. No, he is saying, I'm bringing to you Jesus Christ crucified. You are a sinner. You need a savior. He has come. It is beautiful. It is good news. And it can be yours. And he's coming in weakness and fear and trembling. And he's saying this, I want you to know Jesus, not Paul. This isn't based on man's wisdom. This isn't based on your philosophy or you even thinking, okay, I'm going to be more good than bad. Or I'm going to understand these facts of history, so therefore I'm good. No, I'm going to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is the good news. And this good news, it's, it's not rocket science, right? It's really, really simple. We're sinners. We need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. Right? Died on a cross, buried, rose again, ascended to heaven, and now he's looking to be the Lord of your life. That's it. And that's what we're called to share, right? Just to, to go and take this good news that we have. Like, I have a friend. His name is Jesus. He's transformed me. Would you like to know my friend? But we complicate it. We make it really, really hard when it doesn't have to be hard. It reminds me of this, this story that I heard about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Now, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, they go on a camping trip. And so they, they find their, their site that they're going to camp. They set up their tent, they go fishing, catch some fish, make a fire, they have a great meal, and then they go to, to lay down for the night. A few hours later, Sherlock Holmes nudges his friend Watson. He says, Watson, look, look up into the sky, what do you see? And Watson says, oh, I see millions of stars. And Sherlock Holmes says, well, what, what does that tell you? And Watson says, well, I mean, looking up there in, in those, the sky, it tells me that astronomically, and there are millions and millions of galaxies, potentially billions and billions of planets. 
astrologically, I can see that Saturn is in Leo. Theologically, it tells me that God is really big and we are really small. Meteorologically, it tells me we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow. Watson says, Sherlock, what does it tell you? And Sherlock says, Watson, it tells me somebody stole our tent. We, that's like the gospel, right? We complicate it. Like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be really good at preaching. I'm going to have to really think my way through all of this. I'm going to have to have every question answered before I take the good news to my friends. We complicate it. Our task is simple. Present Jesus Christ to those who don't know him yet. Just tell them what he's done for you. That's transferable. You don't have to worry about fancy words, as Paul is saying. You don't have to worry about deep wisdom. Verse 2. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't know anything except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a small village, the story is told, in England, and they built a church, just a small chapel, and above the chapel door, they, they had an inscription. And this is one of those beautiful kind of churches in England where they got the stone walls and the ivy that kind of climbs up that wall. And the inscription above the door says, we preach Christ crucified. And they put it there so that everybody who walked through the door would know why they've gathered. And they were godly men. And that's exactly what they would do. They would come and they would preach Jesus Christ crucified. But then the times changed. And the ivy grew. And then it covered up the last word of the inscription. And it said, we preach Jesus Christ. And that's what people would do. The men who came in, they started preaching Jesus. Jesus, the humanitarian. Jesus, the social justice king. Jesus, an ideal teacher. Jesus, a good man. And then more time and more ivy. And it covered up the last two words, and then it finally just said, we preach. And the people who came along, they preached. They preached economics. They preached self-help. They preached psychology, economics, book reviews. And I think it's a picture of what happens over time of what we do to the gospel, of what we do to the simplicity of the doctrine that has been given to us in God's word. And mankind gets their hands all over God's word and they start to manipulate it and form it and pretty soon they become apostate. And we have churches all over the place, whole denominations, apostate. It means they've left the faith. They've taken God's word They've done a little origami to it, redone it, made it in their own image. Which, if you're looking for some hope again, the Lord told us that would happen before he shows up. Any day now. Verse 3. Paul says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So now this doesn't mean that he's scared and he's like really stressed. This is a phrase that comes up often in, in the Bible in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 15. He, he uses that phrase and he says, uh, I sent you Titus and you received Titus with fear and trembling. In Ephesians 6, verse 15, it says, uh, obey your earthly masters in fear and trembling. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says there to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So it's not like this stress and fear as much as, as it is like this urgent desire. 
So Paul's saying, I came to you in all of this zeal, and I had this urgent desire that you know Jesus Christ, that you receive the good news of Christ, that you would be transformed, changed from the inside out. So I came to you with this fear and trembling with this good news. And then he goes on, verse 4, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words, here he goes again, not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So he's like, I'm not coming with my own words. I'm not coming with my own thoughts. What I'm going to do, Paul says, is I'm just going to rest on what the Holy Spirit can do in the human heart. I'm not here to, to make sure I get your mind just thinking the right thing or pull on your emotional heartstrings. I am here to let the Spirit of God work in only the way that the Spirit of God can work to draw someone to Jesus Christ so that in a moment of time, their ears are open so that they might not be dead in their sin any longer, but they might see the beauty of the gospel so that their eyes would be open in such a way that they see that God has called them to himself. So he's saying, I'm not coming with plausible words. I am coming to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 5, so that, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And again, it, it is the wisdom of men that begins to crowd out who God is. Man, man, we just get our hands all over the truth of God's word, and we try to find ways of making sure that we, we suppress the revelation of who God is and try to make it something that we can wrap our own minds and hearts around so that it doesn't bring us face to face with a need of repentance for our sins. And so we distort it because of our pride. So we make a gospel or a, a church where we just feel good. I, I, hope, I hope the pastor tickles my ears this week. I hope he just preaches on what to believe and not how to behave because that hurts my toes. We, we make a gospel, we make Christianity something where we can pat ourselves on the back saying how smart we are. But we're not saved by human wisdom. We're saved by the power of God. Now that doesn't remove the human instrument, right? There, there still is this need for the gospel to be told and the word of God to be preached. Paul would go on and say this in Romans chapter 10. Let me just read this to you. He says, how then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So someone, it doesn't have to be just a pastor, but someone needs to go forward and say, I came to you. I came to you with the gospel good news. They have to preach. There's a fantastic preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Some of you may have heard of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he's called the Prince of Preachers. Very interesting man. I have some plans here to study about his life a little bit more. But he, he said this. He lived in the 1800s. He said this. The power that is in the gospel, and he understood the power that's in the gospel. Hundreds of thousands of people had heard the gospel through this guy. He says the power that's in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be the converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it consists in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, until we exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the word of God to give it the power to convert the soul. It wasn't found in the words or eloquence of Paul. 
He's saying, I didn't come to you in that way. I am coming to you in weakness, just in the power of the Holy Ghost in this moment, that he would open up your eyes, that you would begin to understand that your heavenly Father loves you and has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross so that you might be saved eternally. And so it is that Jesus, he comes along and he chooses. He chooses the weak. He chooses those who are foolish, not just to save. He chooses the weak and the foolish to preach. And I think the the weaker and more foolish we are, the more God uses us. So that way, when, when we go to our friends, our family members, the neighbors who are around us, we're not coming in our own brilliance. We're not coming in this place of, man, I'm better than you and I'm looking down. We are coming as people who understand that there is nothing on the inside of us. I'm just like you. You're just like me. We have nothing to offer. We have Christ. We have been extended this grace while we were sinners, far from God. There's nothing that we stand in front of God and beat our chest and say, you sure are fortunate to have me. We come before him and we say, thank you for saving a wretch like me. We have nothing to boast in but the cross of Jesus Christ. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.